0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. We try to stay evergreen here at With Friends Like These. We want people to be able to listen in any order at any time they want, and we want to, you know, not trigger people too much, especially in the last year or so. We've wanted to stay away from the headlines, although obviously we touch on current events. This week is different. This week is both evergreen and urgent. It is urgent and up to the minute because I'll be interviewing Adam Serwer, a writer at The Atlantic, about Biden's agenda, the legacy of Trump, and the continued struggle to rid the country of white supremacy. It's evergreen because none of those topics are going away. And Adam's criticisms of the call for unity will be relevant until unity is possible, which might be a while. Adam Server, coming right up. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ritual. If you think your kids are picky, you have not met the parents at Ritual. After scanning countless labels for multivitamins they could rely on for their own kids, they decided they had to create one themselves. And they make it with the highest standards approach that Ritual is known for and that parents can trust. Introducing Essential for Kids. Now, I'm not a kid. But I am a Ritual subscriber, and I cannot speak to how kids think of vitamins, but I hate pills. And I can say that Ritual takes the medicine out of pill-taking. Their vitamins look cool. They smell minty fresh. They're easy on my tum-tum. Believe me, if they can get me to enjoy taking a vitamin, they're going to get kids interested too. Ritual knows how difficult it can be to get your kids the nutrients they need, and that's why they made essential for kids to help fill the gaps in the diets of ages 4 to 12 without making a single compromise to quality or taste. You deserve to know what you're giving your kids and why. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind, visible supply chain, you'll always know what nutrients are in their multivitamin and where they're sourced. When it comes to what goes into kids' bodies, they've got being picky down to a science. And that's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off their first three months. Now, you can get Ritual for yourself or your kids. Just go to ritual.com slash friends to start Ritual or add Essential for Kids today. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So... You were actually one of the first people I thought of um, when I wanted to hear what someone who is a very smart and keen observer of the Trump era um, thought. So I'm I'm kind of have an open question for you. What did you think?
1: Uh, I mean, I I thought the inauguration was... I mean, I think it was very self-consciously an attempt to return to some form of normalcy, despite uh, you know the bizarre nature of the past four years. It's a little it's a little overused, uh, but George W. Bush's observation about the Trump inauguration that it was some weird shit is you know perfectly correct and poignant. Um, And I think, despite the pandemic, Biden the Biden people wanted this to seem as. Presidential as possible, uh, you know, I- including, you know, the, the president's message, uh, president's word to think of Biden as the president, but the the it, Biden's, you know, message of unity and, and you know, ending this uncivil war and all this stuff about taking down the temperature, uh, which was, you know, it seems a bit naive in some ways, given what we've seen over the past 12 years. Um, but also was a key part of his message from the beginning, which is that, you know, th- this stuff is exhausting and we want things to we, we, we want things to calm down a bit rather than being what the Trump era was, which was that the president tried his best to inhabit the minds of uh, American citizens as much as possible every day, because that gave him a sense of uh, validation and importance that he used the office um, to achieve. I mean, look—he spent so much time watching television so that he could talk about other people talking about him on television and tweet about it. Um, that you know, that there's there's you know Matt Gertz from Media Matters spent he he sort of pioneered this bizarre form of journalism that will not exist for any other president unless Trump is somehow reelected or someone like him is elected. Um, you know of of understanding what the president was thinking by looking at his media diet and responding to the president's tweets while watching particular Fox segments, um, which in turn tremendously influenced the governance of the United States of America, what the president was watching and how TV hosts were talking about him, uh, you know, shaped how the president decided to lead the country.
0: The habit of mulling the meaning of him. Is going to be hard to break. And in fact, one of the reasons I've loved your writing in this period is that I feel like you've done a great job of reminding us that over and over again, Trump is a function of a disease. He is a symptom of the American problem.
1: I mean, for, for a long time, Biden seemed to be portraying Trump as an aberration Um, you know, something, a weird episode that we could then paper over. And the speech seemed, there was like a subtle shift in the speech in the way that he thought about Trump as more of a symptom of a larger problem that could be dealt with. Um, And I think, you know, there's, you know, when you go back to, to, um, you know, the 1890s, you know, President McKinley is being sworn in, and he gives this speech, this like sunny, optimistic speech about how you know, the tensions between North and South are over. We have ideological disagreements, but the big question of, uh, of, of race is our, it has been dealt with, and so we don't need to fight over that anymore. We're not divided by North and South. And then a year later, you know, the, the, the first... A successful coup in American history happens in North Carolina and Wilmington, where a bunch of uh, white supremacist paramilitaries overthrow the the, the government of the city, um, and then w- the the absolute complete non-response to that from McKinley, who after all had been inaugurated on a platform of unity, and what unity meant was non-interference with white supremacy in the South. Um, he he, he um, McKinley says nothing. McKinley does nothing. He does not even condemn this massacre, which is making front page news all over the country. Uh, he doesn't even mention it publicly. Ida Wells says something like McKinley is too busy decorating Confederate graves uh, to defend the rights of the Negro. Um, and, and, and the response is that, oh, we can get away with this. We, 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 and, and there is a wave of, of Jim Crow laws that passes as a result because everybody, it, all, all, the, all, the, all the Democratic Party in the South realizes that the Republican Party is not going to do anything. Um, and I think what was interesting about Biden's speech is that in some ways it was like a McKinley-esque speech, right? Like we're, we're unity. We're going we're to get together. We're going to fix our problems. Um, you know, we're not enemies. We can disagree without trying to destroy each other. Um, but then he says things like we're going to crush white supremacy, which, which is not a commitment that McKinley made, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, M- McKinley's unity was a complete surrender to those forces in American life um and And what Biden is saying in part because he owes his presidency to black Americans and certainly his nomination in particular uh his, his becoming a democratic nominee to the presidency to black americans he 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 as as he put it in his um it, it, his victory speech you know I'll, I'll, you had my back and I'll always have yours um so we're in a different place um in terms of that. The question is, you know, is it possible for Democrats with a 50-50 Senate um, and the partisanship that we've seen and the polarization that we've seen over the past few years, to the extent that even after a mob attacked Congress, Republicans were, most Republicans in the House were willing to vote against the certification of Biden's victory. Can I mean, is there actual progress that's possible from there? And I think you know, that is, that is the big question of the next two years. Um, and I say two years because we all know, uh, you know, the president's party typically does not do well in midterm elections. Uh, and, and the Democrats' majorities are razor thin, both in the Senate and the House. Um, so if Biden doesn't really get things done, you know, uh, the, the way that uh, my, colleague, uh, uh, my, my colleague put it today was uh, big, simple and fast. Um, if he if he doesn't do that, the Democratic Party is going to be in real trouble.
0: This is an incredibly fragile victory for Democrats and progressives in Georgia, most especially, right? Like that's a razor thin victory. It, w- it all kinds of things had to happen for that to come together. Um. I, I am concerned, I guess it sounds like you are, too. There's there's every reason to believe that Democrats will snatch, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory, as they often do, because um, the habit of so-called bipartisanship being fetishized, you know, in the upper echelons of the party, I think is really hard to break. And I think in a way, the never Trumpness is going to allow Democrats to be like, well, they, they aren't Trump
1: you know, in, in, in when Barack Obama got elected, he was offering, his promise was to break Washington gridlock, right? And and McConnell quickly realized that when a president makes a promise like that, that you can, you can force him to break it by simply not working with him. Similarly, it is very easy for Republicans to force Biden to break his pledge as a unifier by simply refusing to work with him. The question is, have Democrats recognize that that is the play, and to what extent are they willing to allow Republicans to string them along? If they are not willing to work with them, who knows? Maybe things are a little different now. Maybe everybody's like, we, you know, we need to calm down and step back a little bit, and maybe work together on some things. Maybe we'll we'll work together. Maybe we'll figure something out. I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical, but I don't know. The question is. If Democrats run against the same kind of obstruction that they saw in 2009, 2010, have they? do they have the wisdom to say, look, what Americans will care about is if we help them, not what excuse we give them for not having helped them? And I think that's really the big question of the next two years and, and probably of the Biden presidency.
0: I want to go back to the idea of big, simple and fast. And I think we have to add successful to that, like it has to work. The things uh, that are put in place need to work. And in some ways, that's a low bar, like for things like the coronavirus response, because nothing was done, doing anything is going to be a better response.
1: Yeah. So look, I've been reading a lot about, uh, I'd been reading a lot about Roosevelt when I wrote that. And I think what struck me is, you know, Roosevelt is coming to power at a moment where, you know, the, the, and this may sound pretty familiar, which is that democracy at a period where there are a lot of uh, places in the world where people are arguing that democracy is an antiquated system of government. It cannot handle the challenges of modernity in the future. And actually fascism is much better. And there are people at home in the United States who are kind of thinking that that might be true. So, you know, Roosevelt comes in um and says no actually government can work government can solve these problems and i'm going to show you um and in doing that he um revitalizes a kind of hope in in the in, in the system uh, and this is incredibly important to preserving democracy obviously the the military defeat of of the axis powers is very important for that reason too but domestically he re- he revitalizes a hope that democracy can work and, and and in the process he shows the world that can democracy can work that it can meet the, pro- the 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 promises of the problems of modernity that you don't need to go to a system where like you know one man is in charge and tells everybody what to do there's a great book about this it's uh, by the historian Ira Katz Nelson and it's called fear itself um, and when you look at Trump, there is such a nihilism at the core of his argument, which is just everybody's corrupt, everybody's a crook. You can trust me because, yes, I'm corrupt and I'm a crook, but, you know, I can't be bought because, you know, I have too much money. Um, and, and, and and to the extent that I'm a crook, I'm no more crook in it than anybody, anybody else. But you can see that I, you know, I, I hate the elites as much as you do. Um, So, on some level, Biden's real challenge here is to prove that not just that democracy can work um, as a a simple function of like that that it can exist and function, but also that it can deliver benefits for the people in terms of containing the pandemic, in terms of repairing the economic damage, keeping people in their homes, uh, revitalizing all these businesses that have been lost. I mean, there are so many. I mean, when you look in particular, one of the things that was really extraordinary to look at when, uh, in, in terms of the economic statistics, was the extent to which like small minority businesses were totally wiped out really early on in the pandemic because they lacked, you know, strong lines of credit. They lacked relationships to financial institutions. They weren't able to get the uh, loans uh, from the program that was passed by Congress. So Biden has like a huge challenge. At the same time, it is an opportunity because it says because if he succeeds. Um, if he says government can't, it, it, if he proves to the American people that government can't help, that it can solve these seemingly intractable problems, then he has, um, shifted people's understanding of how to fix certain problems in the same way that Roosevelt did. Um, and, and in some ways, in the same way, ways that Reagan did by saying, you know, government actually is the problem, um, in, in the opposite direction, obviously, um, you know, so the stakes are actually quite high. <laughs>
0: To make people believe that government can work for you is going to be hard, I think, like just on a systemic level.
1: I think it is going to be hard, but I think there's two things that he has to his advantage. One is that because there was a Democratic administration four years ago, there's still a pretty deep bench of, uh, (laughs) apologies if this sounds like a weird phrase, of bureaucratic talent. yes. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of civil servants people. who, I mean, some of these people actually stayed in Washington D.C. and worked for the Trump administration because there's a, a there's a culture in the civil service that outsiders may not understand. But my parents were both civil servants, so I very much understand it. Which is that you are serving the country, not the you know not the administration necessarily, like not one party or the other, but you serve the public. So you stay to make sure that government functions properly as best you can within your abilities. Um, but there are a lot of people who left and there are going to be a lot of people who are fairly young, who remember how this stuff works, who are going to want to come back and get jobs in the Biden administration and help make these things work. And as, um, and, and as he has been advertising since he started running, he has a lot of people around him who worked on similar problems, uh, during the Obama administration, not quite as big, but who worked on, on similar problems and who have the, uh, Bureaucratic and policy knowledge um, to handle them. I I have like I, I I was very skeptical of Biden at the beginning, and I think one thing that you sort of have to acknowledge about him is that he has been tremendously underestimated from from the beginning. I mean, at, at least you know by people in our profession. I certainly underestimated him. He has proven to be uh, far more resilient and clever than I think people gave him credit for.
0: I think that he's always been a good listener. Like that is something that's marked his career and something he's been known for. You know, when people talk about him as like the mourner in chief and talk about his ability to sit with grieving families. And I also think about him overcoming his stutter. I think he's a listener. I think he hears people when they speak. And I think that's what's happened with him in this election.
1: He, uh, people like him personally. Um, I don't know that that will matter in the long run, but it, it, you know, it did matter in the primary that, that, that Bernie Sanders did not want to nuke his friend, Joe Biden, uh, who, you know, had respected Bernie despite other people treating Bernie like, you know, he was some sort of weirdo. Joe Biden always respected him, you know, so maybe this changes the relationship between the president and and the Senate in a way that, you know, I always did not find it. I never found it persuasive that Barack Obama was not nice enough to Mitch McConnell to get him to abandon his obstruction. Um, And I think there are probably other reasons why Mitch McConnell might be more polite to Joe Biden than he is to Barack Obama, but than he was to Barack Obama. But, you know, again, this is all stuff that we I think. We really are in a space where we do not know what the next four years are going to look like. Things are really crazy right now. Um, and and I think it's actually uh, politics, you know, just like you probably would not have expected Donald Trump to be president in 2013. Um, you, you would not have expected that Donald Trump would be the successor to Barack Obama. I don't think we necessarily know, uh, what the shape of politics is going to be like over the next four years, um, with Donald Trump out of the picture.
0: Taking a quick break to make money, to make the world go round. This episode of With Friends Like These is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Now, I often forget to eat. I just forget. My day starts pretty early, and then when you know you're a podcaster person, you're basically constantly on the job in some way. I'm reading guest books, I'm searching for guest ideas, I'm researching an idea for a show, and I'm not complaining because none of that feels like work. I love doing it, but that means I forget to eat which is why I've always been a fan of breakfast at any time of the day. I'm especially a fan of Magic Spoon cereal any time of the day. Magic Spoon has taken the cereal flavors you loved as a kid and made them into something a responsible adult can feel great about eating, even if you miss breakfast. They have 11 grams of protein and... If you care about sugar and carbs, just zero sugar and three net grams of carbs. Now, I personally like that they have less sugar because it means I won't be bouncing off the walls at nine at night if I have it, you know, at eight. And my Magic Spoon Pro tip is playing with the flavors. You can make like a Reese's flavor by mixing cocoa and peanut butter. You can make a churro flavor by mixing peanut butter and cinnamon. And you can make this what I would call a pie flavor by mixing fruity and frosted. Now, you can mix them any way you like, but you'll need a variety pack to do that. So Magic Spoon is making it easy for you to get a variety pack. Go to magicspoon.com slash WFLT. And if you use promo code WFLT at checkout, you will save $5 off a variety pack. You will get a pack of four, but you can mix them and match them. So it's really like getting six flavors and $5 off. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it, for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT to save $5 off. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Olipop. It is me, your non-alcohol drinking host, constantly on the search for grown-up drinks that aren't booze. I have, my friends, found another one. It's Olipop. Olipop makes sodas that aren't what you order with a Happy Meal. It's another brand taking the stuff you loved when you were a kid and you could eat or drink anything and making it less kid-like, more subtle, more grown-up. I've drunk Diet Coke for years because regular Coke is too sweet for me. It's not that I'm on a diet. No one should be on a diet. But regular Coke is so sweet. Olipop's vintage cola flavor is like a sophisticated Coke. Not too sweet. Layers of flavor, like caramel and vanilla and cola. The root beer flavor is tangy. The cherry vanilla and strawberry vanilla taste like fruits, not chemicals. And the ginger lemon one is excellent and actually has like lemon juice in it. They're all low in sugar too, again, if that's a thing that you care about. Although it's also true that regular sodas have so much sugar in them, they taste sweeter than they taste like anything else. They just taste like sweetness, right? Coke Classic has 39 grams of sugar. Orange Fanta has 44 grams of sugar. And by all means, enjoy your sugar. But don't you want something that tastes like more than just sugar? Try Olipop. We have worked out an exclusive deal for With Friends Like These podcast listeners. You can receive 20% off plus free shipping on their best-selling variety pack. This is a great way to try all of their delicious flavors. Go to drinkolipop.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout to claim this deal. That is D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P dot com slash friends. This discount is only valid for the variety pack. Although Olipop can be found in grocery stores all over the country, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, Wegmans, and Air One, you're still going to want to order online. You get the discount, and if you order online, you can take advantage of their 100% money-back guarantee. So, drinkolipop.com friends for 20% off and no risk at all. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Best Fiends. Did you love puzzles as a kid? I loved puzzles. I still love puzzles. Sudoku, crossword, games that are basically puzzles, like where you fit shapes of things into things and you find rows of things. Best Fiends is that kind of puzzle game. All the addictive mental twists of like a puzzle, but with the feeling of accomplishment and beating other people that comes with a game. Best Fiends also has characters, levels, and more content that gets added all the time. Now, what sucks me into games like this is that the puzzle can seem really simple, but it isn't. So I'll try and fail and keep thinking, it can't be this hard. It can't be this hard. I I should be able to do this. So I keep telling myself that. And then it's an hour later because it wasn't that simple after all. But I feel so great about it. I think I'll do this again. (laughs) Best Fiends is free to download. It's had over 100 million downloads and over 200,000 reviews with a 4.8 star average. More levels, events, and challenges are added all the time, so play away. There's always one more level. There's always another update, whether it's more levels, more events, or changes to the game based on fan feedback. Download Best Fiends today. It's free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. And back to our conversation with Adam Serwer. I've heard you and Perry Bacon talk about this a lot, and I haven't heard a lot of other pundits talk about it, which is that this idea of the stolen election, the rigged election, is premised in racism. <laughs> it is about stealing the votes of Black people and poor people. That it's not just like, oh, he had a conspiracy that the election was rigged. It's a very specific kind of conspiracy.
1: Right, he said. You know, he specifically said Philadelphia and Detroit cannot be allowed to decide a presidential election. And in court, he argued for throwing out, you know, uh, votes in predominantly black jurisdictions. You know, in all the in all four swing states, uh, that he that that he was trying to do that in. Um, it, it's not a coincidence. It 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 goes back to the. Uh, the, it, it goes back to the second that black people uh, won the vote. Um, from From that point, there has always been an argument uh, that, that that victories that are won through black votes are inherently fraudulent um, because black people are not supposed to be part of the polity to begin with. And when you, and you know from, from, from the late 19th century to the mid 20th century, there was this belief, uh, well, and until, you know, until the 30s, there was a bar, bipartisan belief that the South had done the country a favor by excising Black people from the polity because Black men were too ignorant uh, to responsibly exercise suffrage to begin with. Um, and, you see, and you see that, I mean, in some ways you see that argument even today. Um, with the idea that, that that Black people's votes are bought with, you know, quote, unquote, free stuff. Um, and therefore, you know, there's a, you know, Black people are stuck on the, quote, democratic plantation, where, where there's somehow the agency of Black American voters is removed uh, so that it is easier to delegitimize their participation in the polity. Um, and, and it's just, so it's just, it's not a coincidence that this argument, which has been at the center of American politics since, black people, black men got the vote uh, in, in, in the mid 19th century is now still such a part of our conversation about, uh, uh, you know, the legitimacy of political victories and legitimacy of particular votes. And even now, you know, you, you can see in the aftermath of defeat, of defeat, Republicans in particular states are trying to figure out new ways to restrict the electorate to minimize the impact of Uh, 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 Of black voters. And and this is something that Trump himself did. I mean, he, if you recall, his, he tried to use the census to do what was basically a nationwide racial gerrymander to enhance the power of white voters at the expense of minority voters. I am not making that up. That was the plan as conceived by the now deceased Republican operative. Yeah, it was the stated intent of the plan based on documents that were revealed just before the census case was decided at the Supreme Court. Um, that this was something that would enhance Republican power by enhancing the influence of white voters, which, by the way, under our system, is already enhanced by the Electoral College and the Senate. Um, the most conservative white voters in the country, their their political influence is is tremendously uh, enhanced by 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 a pre existing American institution.
0: And I guess. You know, we're sort of getting at what bothers me about the conversation around Trump's conspiracy theory, not seeming to to grapple with the racism of it, um, and and how, for instance, the storming of the Capitol, you pointed out, it was an attack on multiracial democracy.
1: So I think that. You know, there's almost no way, in the long term, there's no way around this besides the integration of the Republican Party. Anytime you have a party, you have a largely white party and a multiracial party in, in American history, this is whether, you know, no matter which party it is, what ends up happening is that the party that is largely white um, comes to view the party that is multi, made up of a multiracial coalition as inherently illegitimate and a challenge to their, uh, you know, God-given heritage, um, to govern. Uh, and that's something that we saw at the Capitol last week, even though the crab was not exclusively white, it was nevertheless an attempt to overthrow an election, uh, uh, whose illegitimacy was premised on, um, the votes of black people in Atlanta, Detroit, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Um, so, you know, are we going to, I, I mean, I don't think it's really possible to forget. It's going to be possible to forget it in the, in, in, in the sense that people will not remember because Republicans are going to until they are, until they, the, until it is no longer possible for them to uh, win power this way. Um, they're going to continue to find, to try and find methods to diminish the power of black voters um, and to be able to win, you know, whether it's uh, you know the de- delegation of a particular state or majority of congressional seats, whether it's a governorship, whether whatever, they're going to try and restrict the uh, the electorate of 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 minority from minority voters as much as possible. Um, and that problem is just going to be ongoing. It's it's going to be difficult to forget because there will be people who are fighting those efforts to and nail.
0: Yes. You're you're correct that the white supremacy will continue to white supreme, you know, that like it will continue to happen. But you know my white people like we have amnesia pretty easy. And think about what it took for the conversation that happened this past summer to happen. The things that a lot of people were able to ignore or tell a story about that didn't include white supremacy.
1: The, the history of racism in the United States is that there are these moments of awakening for white Americans where they recognize this, the, the racial stratification of their society and they want to do something to fix it. And that, um, you know, and, and those those are moments of great possibility. They happened, you know, they don't happen often. They, ha- they, they happened in, you know, the the late 1860s during Reconstruction, they happen in the mid 1960s with the civil rights movement, and we saw something like that happen over the summer. Um, those moments don't necessarily last, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for the the Biden administration to act quickly uh, in terms of making sure that American prosperity is broadly shared and is not just uh, you know. It, 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 the the economy is not just running on the engine of the consumption of the top 15% of earners in the United States. Um, I, you know, this is not an issue that, you know, we are not going to perfect multiracial democracy in the next four years. It's just not, it's just not something that's going to happen. There are going to be, um, more inequalities. There are going to be more is there is going to be more amnesia and there are going to be more awakenings. It's a long process. We are not going to resolve this question that we, that as a country, have been fighting a, a, a mortal battle, existential battle over since the founding itself. Um, but you know, I, I think it's hard to look at the fact that the vice President of the United States um, is a black and Asian woman. Uh, she comes from one group of people who were enslaved and denied basic rights uh, for most of the country's existence. And, and she comes and her other parent uh, comes from a group of people that the United States specifically barred from coming to the United States on the grounds that they would dilute the uh, native Anglo-Saxon stock of, of its inhabitants, which were uh, key to the country's greatness. Look, that's not everything, but it is something. Um, there are these moments of, 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 of halting progress. And there are also w- what I think the Trump administration should teach us is that these are not preordained moments. Um, th- these are the result of people doing work and they can be taken away in moments of backlash. Um, uh, in, uh, it's not a question of, uh, unstoppable progress. It's a question of how much are we willing to do and how hard are we willing to push? Um, and, 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 and we're just not going to resolve that existential struggle in the next four years, but we can, you know, the country can still get a lot of good things done anyway.
0: I'm going to back off of my, um, unrelenting cynicism about this. Cause I, I, I don't think I'm actually that cynical about it. I think these are questions that I have in my head and I I genuinely wanted to hear what you had to say about them. But I also believe that you can't undo representation, you know, like once you have Kamala in the White House, you can't undo the fact that she was there. You can't undo the fact that Obama was there and you can't undo the voices that have been raised in the past year. And some of the policies that have changed, like people got a lot more
1: self-conscious. You know, the things that we've seen over the past four years with the Trump administration, those people just don't go away. They continue to exist and they continue to have ideas about how the world should be um, that I believe are extraordinarily destructive. Um, now, I don't know necessarily know that they will succeed again the way that they succeeded with Trump. Um, but I think it's important not to take for granted, you know that 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 kind of progress is meaningful. But it also, if you if it is not protected, it can be annihilated with a, a completeness that is like difficult to understand. Uh, I think for 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 people who did not personally live through it, our, our present society is shaped by these things that happen in the past, it, it, reconstruction in particular, and redemption following it. Um, you know it it's just i think w- what it clarifies is for me is the stakes of failure. um you know my uh my grandparents grew up in uh Florida that was an apartheid state because of that failure um and they and, you know things changed, and I live a very different life thanks to the things that they did um and, and the things that my parents did to to make the world a better place, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, and, and my understanding of all these things is shaped by those two things: one, that my my grandparents were born into uh, uh, an apartheid state that most Americans were fine with at the time; most Americans did not consider that an emergency worth dealing with. But also that they fought to make things better, um, and, and they did measurably make things better for a lot of people, myself in particular, but but a lot of other people. And I think to the extent that Uh, what you're talking about, that amnesia doesn't take place. I think it's important for, I I think the question is to what extent do white Americans understand that they have a stake in preserving and protecting multiracial democracy, Uh, which was, I think, substantially what Joe Biden was talking about, which was in his inauguration speech today, which is that this is about um, making a more Perfect union. It is it, you know the 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 undemocratic arrangements of the past are also bad for white people, not just black people. Even though the burden may fall more heavily on black people, um, and I think to what to what extent that amnesia takes place or takes root or 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 or, or damages the ability of the United States to make progress is really uh, rooted in to what extent that uh, recognition takes hold and lasts.
0: And I'm really glad actually that both of us kind of wound up talking about personal history in this last part of our conversation because I think that's really key to the resisting amnesia portion for me is that we go from looking, we talked about the inauguration, we talked about the the big things of the inauguration, we talked about history, we talked about um, the possibility of like things happening on its grand scale, the country, you know, political movements. But all of it is really about Individual bodies experiencing things, you know, health, security, oppression. Like, that is where all that memory really has to be, is to remember that there are the person, you know, you're fighting for.
1: Yeah. I mean, Yes. Uh, I, I mean I, I think, you know, when you were, you were talking about that, I think it, it that um that brings to mind I, I think what was probably uh you know the most moving part of the inauguration for me, uh w- 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 which is Amanda Gorman's poem, which I think, you know, I'm 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 an old man now. Um so things like young young women um expressing a kind of hope. It's one thing for Joe Biden to express hope for the future, right? Uh, it's another thing for a young person to do it. Um, and I felt that, that, that felt so tremendously moving to me, I think, because I'm a dad now and I have a daughter and, um, it sort of brings home the extent to which I am now the person who is trying to make the world better for, you know, my daughter who will come after me. Um, and I'm no, you know what I mean? And I, um, to me, so to me, like that, that was sort of a tremendously emotional moment um, that I felt personally, not e- even necessarily in a political partisan way, but just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this you know, this to, to, to see a young person express that kind of hope for the future reminds you of of your responsibility in making sure that that future is something they are able to experience.
0: I think we're going to have to end there. Thank you, Adam.
1: Well, thank you for having me on.
0: And that is it for the show. I hope that you are listening to this in like late 2021 and you're thinking, well, that was unnecessarily pessimistic. I hope that people barely remember what QAnon was. I hope there's been no violence, no insurrection, no Trump comeback. I don't often hope to be wrong but I really, really hope I'm wrong. This show is a production of Crooked Media. It is produced by Allison Herrera with assistance from Izzy Margulies. This episode was engineered by Louis Lino. Liam McMahon is our social media genius. Whitney Pastrick let me cry on her shoulder this morning when I really needed to. I hope you all have the same kind of friends I do. Take care of them, and they'll take care of you, and most of all,